Troy Neenan. He's worked in recruitment for nearly a decade. Recently got promoted to Contract Solutions Director at Pro Clinical Staffing. And over the last five years, he's been instrumental in building the EU contract team. Starting it from scratch in four short years, this division is now generating circa 1 million net fee income. So how did Troy do it? So this is what you're going to learn in this week's episode. How to become world-class at business development. How to identify hiring triggers that could lead to large-scale hiring projects. The power of committing to becoming a subject matter expert and how to use your industry knowledge when selling. How to transition from selling typical contract solutions to selling solutions for large-scale hiring projects. And so, so much more. Let's get into this week's episode. Troy, welcome to the pod. Thank you for having me. Obviously, we first met when you came to one of the live podcast events. Yes. So now, do you ever think we'll end, then end up in this position? Absolutely not. Absolutely <laughs> no way. Still quite surreal that I'm actually here. Yeah. So yeah. A, a lot to unpack. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you've been on, as we were just saying, like really interesting journey. What we're going to unpack today is is the last sort of four years of ProClinical. Obviously, you've just sort of been, let's call it, I guess it's a promotion, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, in, yeah. Uh, promotion. You can, you can say that. Yeah. yeah, yeah like absolutely. a slightly different position where it's in entirely new business focused. Yeah. But when you joined the business, you was uh, really at the forefront of, of building out, really focusing on the contract side, right? Yeah. For Pro, Pro Clinical. Yeah. Europe specifically. And your world is under the banner of like life sciences, right? That's right. Yeah. So really interested to, if I'm honest, like I know we're going to end up getting in the sort of intricacies of like how you've become constantly better on the BD client acquisition side. Mm-hmm. I know that's something that a lot of people enjoy. So why don't we start here? Because I, I find it interesting when the sort of terminology changes, but correct me if I'm mm-hmm. wrong, your, so your title now is Contract Solutions Director, Director, right? Yeah. So what I wanted to ask, just to kick this off is, how would you describe the difference between a contract recruiter and mm-hmm. a contract solutions recruiter? Recruiter. That's a good question. Good question. <laughs> yeah, my title was a bit, uh, bit hyped up, but it's, it's quite good. Yeah, I guess from starting out when I've been doing this for eight years now, mm. and typically when I was first starting doing BD, I think I was doing the kind of traditional way of calling up a client, got a great candidate, what do you think of them? So that's what I was doing from the start. Mm. Now, eight years later, I've got a, a much more strategic focused kind of role mm. where I'm basically going up to clients and saying, I know you're running a phase three trial mm. that you need to complete so you can then you know, go to the authorities and get the medicine approved. I know you need a team of 12 people. So I, I already know that from the start and that's kind of the message I'm, I'm leading with. Yeah. So I think that's the the kind of key here is that started off doing kind of the traditional, here's a CV, what do you think, to now moving into more of a solution space where I'm leading with a bit more value mm. and I understand what the client wants and I'm creating a, a team, a project team mm. to deliver on their on their kind of the, the needs of the business, basically. What's like, I find really interesting about that, the way that you framed it, that, that was a good job, by the way. So like, good, it's good still... start then. <laughs> <laughs> but what's interesting is like, if you think about it, I don't know what you think about this, but what you just described there, the center of it is still like people essentially yeah, like definitely. the the what will make up that project team is people mm-hmm. but the way 
you're framing it and the conversations you're having, like you just said, is I know that you may have a problem getting to like the outcome that you want and yeah. I can, you know, provide you the, the solution for this. Yeah, that's so right. it does, like you said, you're not leading with quote unquote, the product being the person, you're actually mm -hmm. saying, hey, I know like this is where you want to go. This is what's important to you. These are your goals. Yeah, absolutely. And some of the issues that you might have or to really make sure that you get there, you're going to need this solution. You're going to need these people to do that. that it's sort of how nice. I sort of take that. Yeah, and that's exactly right. We're not a consultant company. You mm. know, I'm not, I don't work in the consultant space where we're taking on the deliverables of the project because mm. our insurances just wouldn't it'd be sky high. <laughs> um, so that's not something we're, we're doing, but I can certainly add value in obviously creating a project team, which can be, in terms of budget, be better for, mm. for the business. And also we have direct access to talent. Sometimes what clients, you know, in my space, they will outsource to a consultancy. That consultancy then asks us to find the talent so they're almost like a middleman. They do take on a lot of the deliverables of the project, but they essentially need us to find the people. So what we do is we'll come in and say, look, you can have direct access to the talent. Still have someone internally overseeing the project, but you have direct access to talent. And we can also bring people in from your competitors, mm. essentially. Let's start here then. Let's just get straight into it. Like, how would you, I know we're early on here, but like you, you haven't just, obviously this started in January, this new role, right? But you wanted to go in this direction when we were prepared for this. Yeah. You obviously asked you some of the things that you feel like your colleagues would say you're like best known for. It was, it was business development, it was client acquisition. So obviously this is something like you wanted to like lean into this and go, but yeah, like this wasn't just something that in January, like I want to start doing more of this, like that I'm assuming you saw opportunities and mm. you started to have conversations pipeline where it was more around projects, teams, yeah. these types of things, right? Why don't we just start? I'd love to just, for people listening to this that may feel like, I don't know, this might be like brand new to them. They never heard of like a contract recruiter speaking mm. about it this way. But I feel like the more and more contract recruiters that I speak to, it almost seems like this is not everyone, but it seems like they want to get to this sort of position where they're providing solutions more rather than like mm, a person okay. that can solve like a short-term problem yeah so what would you say are the main like mindset shifts you have to have towards like your client acquisition your business development because you mm -hmm. said how it's different in terms of like how you do it right or how you speak about yeah, it but what about so. your mindset towards business development because like surely there's going to be some differences there yeah so the mindset i mean the mindset i've had, had with bd always is even when i was doing the candidate side is i was doing bd every day mm. so even when i was speaking to candidates i was getting information such as references, you know, where they're interviewing mm. the managers that, they, that they've worked with. So I'm getting these pieces of information to help with my BD. Mm -hmm. So I think the mindset in BD in general has to be, it's not separate. Your mm. candidate work is also your BD work. Mm. And that's been the kind of mindset that, mm. I've, that I've had throughout my, you know, my, my whole career. I think when we are moving into more of the solution space, I think there's two things that we, you need to know is knowing the triggers to, to hire for mm. your clients. Not only one person, but what are the triggers to hiring a team of people? You know, do you really understand that? Or do consultants really understand that? That's one point. And the second point is knowing your market really well and mm. inside out. We obviously work in the life science space, but it's a very I work in a very specific area, which is clinical research. I've been doing this for eight years. Now, it's easy for me to say this eight years on, yeah. saying I'm, I'm a market expert. But even when you're a young consultant or, or a, you know, a junior consultant, you can still leverage a lot of market information from your clients because there's a lot of publicly, publicly available data out there that you can use in your, your BD 
kind of course to kind of summarize yeah no that's really helpful so would you mind i know fine if you give an example in your world but i think like that first point is really interesting the the trigger point right Mm. so give us an example of that feel you you can make it like to your world and then i'll make sure that i feel like i understand it yeah yeah so like (laughs) because then yeah that is a different mindset shift isn't it it's like because you're not talking about they've got a live vacancy it mm. sounds like you're the trick. I mean, you'll go for it, but the trigger point sure. of like this then indicates to me that they're going to need these types of people that can do yeah. these types of things over this time period. But yeah, you tell me what the trigger points yeah. are. Yeah, so in terms, example. yeah, absolutely. So the kind of examples that I'll, I'll, I'll use is when I look at partnering with, with clients, I look at where they're running the the clinical trial. Mm. So, for example, if a, a new biotech is running a, tri- a phase two trial mm. in Europe then I know they will need some oversight of that study mm. because they're based perhaps in America and they don't have boots on the ground. So I'm going to that client and I'm, and I'm saying, I know you have a, a new study that you're running, mm. which is typically in phase two. There's three stages to clinical development. In stage two, it's typically in more of an international study. So you're going into Europe, you're opening more, more research sites to, to run the trial. So I'm going to the client and saying, I know you're running a phase two trial based on kind of the the evidence or the, the info that I have. I know you will need some oversight or a, a project manager yeah. to oversee that study. And then I, and then you can go, you from, can go there, from there, basically. Yeah. So you're kind of leading with value and, and leading with that. Yeah, yeah. OK, of, yeah. So, right. No, that, that doesn't. I mean, that to be fair, you explained that pretty well. So like then you, yeah, so you use that insight. And then obviously, again, this is just, every, I'm assuming people can get that information, but then it's like, what, not everyone's going to do that with that information, right? Yeah, it's kind of knowing what information to, to yeah. kind of to take and then and discuss with clients because this is with a hiring manager and I typically work with smaller companies mm. that don't have maybe a HR team so maybe my message to to the HR team might be slightly different than I'm talking to you know a hiring manager about yeah sure but the info is still still the, the same. same so what um I know you might have just given the example but I just want to make sure that this is clear for people because I think it's interesting is like is there anything else that you could share where like you've You've seen the trigger point that you've, again, maybe found for experience and mm. you figured out, you know what, if this happens, then this probably is going to mean that, which means they're going to need these types of people yeah. in order to help them you know, achieve what they want to achieve. Is there anything else more to share on how else you approach that call? Because that is different, right? Because like you said mm-hmm. at the beginning of this conversation, how a lot of people do BD is like, I've got this person yeah. that can do this for you like is that someone that you need or whatever but here you're not even talking about a person right you're actually talking about the future needs so like is there anything else to share like because I'm assuming that's something you've had to get better at so Mm. like how have you tell us a bit more about what that sounds like right because yeah I think that's interesting for people on how you actually approach those types of calls Mm. yeah so I think going back to how I was you know doing BD before I was really leading with the CV yeah now I'm leading the conversation with the project Mm. So I'm discussing the project and I'm understanding the project needs. And then based on that, we can then go through, okay, you'll need three people mm. to service this project. But clients also go on the journey as well. They usually start off very small and then they grow and grow. And then once they well, get to a stage where they're going to uh, approve a medicine, mm. they're a 500, 300 person business. Right. So it's understanding in each stage of the kind of development life cycle, each stage mm. of clients at what they need, how many people they, they kind of need it as well. So surely so then... Maybe leading with the projects a bit more rather than yeah. you know, a kind of CV, if that what about, answers your what, question. What might be helpful then is what about like how do you... Talk to me about your sales process then because like surely that's evolved. 
Because like what it sounds like there, you they need to be giving you information and you need to be asking good quality questions. When you find these trigger points, what are you asking for? You're asking for you're leading with that approach and going, and this is why I think it could be a you know a good idea to have a 30, 45 minute discovery call where I can understand a bit more about your potential project needs and the people you're gonna need, or do you know what I mean? What does the sales process look like? Because surely that's different. Yeah, so the initial reach out is, is actually quite specific. Okay. So I'll reach out to a client mm. usually via email. And I'll state the the kind of study name mm. or the study number. Usually it's, yeah, kind of a, a simple message. I'm working with two of your clients. You know, I've overseen a project team of X amount of people. Here's a few people mm. bullet pointed below. I have then have that, in, that conversation with them, mm. usually half an hour, 40 minutes. Yeah. Depending on the size of the company, we then have to might have to go through a kind of a sort of a, a sales process where we're agreeing terms yeah. with them, etc. Typically, mm. with the smaller companies, you don't have to. Typically, yeah. they're happy to then start to work on on those kind of. Uh, needs that they have okay so basically that's really interesting and so you're using like case studies you're using your track yeah, record that's right you're showing them that you've done your research like this is what i think yeah. would be good. and the, the ask at that point is then for like a 30 45 minute conversation yeah when you're uh, free to speak so and then is that and then in that conversation is that when you're really digging into like right you know tell me a bit more about how you think this is going to go the project and yeah. you learn that and then what and then you advise from that point so yeah so i'd, I'd lead with the project so i say yeah. okay talk me through what you'll need on this project mm. we'll go through quite specific um specific details yeah. i know my market quite well so yeah. i can talk at a fairly high level i've not yeah. done the role uh, that these guys are doing but i can work to a fairly mm. high level based on that info then i'm advising them on how to go about it so based on the info i think you, you probably need an oversight manager in three countries mm -hmm. because you're running trials in these three countries. Mm. So that's how I'd lead the I would lead the conversation. Yeah, I find that, that is that is really interesting. Have you had anyone in your team? Because obviously you used to manage your your team. Yeah. What have you found people struggle with, with like when trying to have more of those types of conversations? Because it is different. That mm. is very different, right? Because you're really having to lean into your subject matter expertise. Yeah. And you're like advising. Right. In terms of like the, yeah, the types of people degree, yeah. and also like you're advising on like, yeah, the problems they might run it, run into the solution that they'll need in terms of like the people they're going to need. Is there anything that you found people often struggle where they're going from, you know, doing the typical BD, specking mm. candidates, contractors or whatever, to then booking in a meeting and then having to guide the conversation to understand what actually type of contractors and skill sets they're going to need? Have you found that anything that typically people struggle with when trying to make that transition? Yeah, it's... I think what they do struggle with is traditionally, especially when I've managed people mm. who have quite a few years of experience, they will still lead with the kind of CV. So then it's then coaching them not to, I wouldn't say not to do that because there's, there's times where you have to. Mm. Client needs are, are different depending on you know, mm. who they are and, and, and where they are. But then it's just coaching them and, and giving them a, a good case study as to this is how we've done it. Mm. If you leave the project, you're going to find out way more information. So that client who maybe thinks that he needs one person, in reality, if we go through kind of case studies, what we've done before, and if you understand the study that they're running, they might need three people. So that's a kind of journey. But you're right. I would say when I was first sort of managing people, I would always advise them, like, have an initial call, a discovery call, and then say, don't, there's no pressure on then scheduling an, another call with them and say, look, based on what you've discussed, I'm going to go away with, you know, to the team. Mm. We're going to come up with a solution for you. Mm. Let's book in a meeting next week. And then, you know, usually the, the more junior person on my team would, would then come to me and say, hey, we've got this, this client. They need potentially one person. They're running a study in Europe. Mm. What do you think, basically? 
So you're saying sometimes a pitfall is you like result in just leading with like, oh, like I, I've got a contractor that can do that for you. Yeah. Like just jumping straight to jumping that straight rather it, than yeah. like ha- taking a breath, taking a step back and actually having more of, let's call it like a commercial strategic conversation of yeah. like, what are you trying to achieve here? Where are you in the life cycle? And like to understand that information because then yeah. that could then make you realise, oh, hang on a minute, that's probably going to mean that you may not need this person now, but three months from now, you you might need this type of person and so on. Yeah, that, that, that's absolutely right. So taking more of a helicopter view. Or I've had the, the case before where a client wanted to hire someone in America, it's East Coast, yeah, but they didn't need to go, there was no travel involved in, in the role, but they really wanted someone in, in America because they thought that was better, they had boots on the ground and time zone wise it worked but that comes with a, a bigger cost to the mm. client so he said to to the client look there's a person in, in Europe he's done east coast hours for years it'll cost you half the price here's that person so again we're advising them and offering kind of a, a better solution that saves them money in, in, in the long run yeah sure so what you're saying is sometimes obviously that is what's needed yeah. is that what you're saying yeah that's right yeah, so yeah. sometimes clients don't know what they kind of right need, sorry I got what you mean yeah um, before yeah. they go into the call so yeah, yeah. rather than saying yeah we've got that person in, in mm. America let's let's go for it mm. taking more of a maybe yeah step back and looking at at the kind of bigger picture because ultimately, if you get better at that, you know, this isn't, you tell me if you disagree with this or not, but like there's a lot of benefit to like having that approach as a contract recruiter, right? Mm. Just even if you don't want to get to the point where you're getting to now in terms of like really trying to win big project solutions, actually just by having more of this approach is what I'm hearing is that actually you could be missing opportunities by not having yeah. this approach basically, even if it doesn't mean like, yeah, we're having the solution conversations. So like, what I feel like is going to be fundamental to that, let me know if you disagree with this or not, but you've mentioned discovery call there because mm-hmm. I feel like if your process is just straight to jump in with like your product, yeah. then of course your the perception of you is just going to be, oh, this person can just provide me with this person right now and fix this problem. But what's going to change that or give you more opportunities potentially to get more runners out, to get more contractors out with that same person is actually taking a step back yeah. and doing a bit more of a discovery of and understanding where they're at what's yeah. important to them, what their issues are. Yeah, that's right. So let's just talk about that for a sec, because surely that could potentially help a lot of people. A lot of people may not even do that or may mm. not even have that in their current process. So if I'm a contract recruiter right now, listen to this, and I don't conduct a discovery call, Yeah, I might just go straight into you know a typical, like, you know, you need these contractors, I can do that for you. Mm-hmm. Like, how do I go about starting to have those like what what are the main things that i need need to change what does it all sound like how do i need to change my approach we'll get back to the episode in just one minute but today i'm excited to talk to you about one of our partners sourcewell the industry leading business development and headhunting platform at the end of last year sourcewell released an exciting new feature the platform's very own live feed Being honest with you, this feature has been one of my favorites to date because it tells you exactly who's engaging with your outreach in real time. This means you can easily tell which lead is hot and which is not, so you can connect with the right people at the right time to skyrocket your engagement. You can actually hear from one of our mentors and 2023 panelists, Amber Penrose, on how she's achieved instant results with Sourcewell's new feature, Live Feed. 
The Sourcewell live list feature has enabled me to become a secret little stalker and to contact my ideal customer profile whilst they're at their desks. And especially for someone like me who works in biotech, where computer time, understandably for a lot of scientists, just isn't prevalent, this has been a huge help. And for example... A biotech vice president of HR who I have been politely pestering for what feels like my entire life finally picked up the phone to me because I cold called her after she'd clicked on my email four times in a row, which Sourcewell kindly had let me know. To the point where she actually giggled during my cold call opener and responded with, are you in the office watching me? (laughs) And despite that awkward encounter, we're now working on a retained project with them in Boston. And that wouldn't have been possible if it weren't for Sourcewell. As you can see, Sourcewell is a great tool for driving better engagement, more meetings and higher revenue. If you're looking for a competitive edge in 2024, then Sourcewell could be for you. You can book a demo with Sourcewell and mention the Recruitment Mentors podcast to enjoy an extra 50 phone and 50 email credits per user. And this exclusive offer for this community is going to save you circa £500 or more and is only going to be available until March the 31st. So click the link in the show notes or you can go directly to sourcewell.com forward slash demo. Yeah, I think it's a good, good question. <laughs> million dollar question. Um, I think from my experience... It's about educating clients Mm. as well. And as I said before, it's really understanding your market. Mm. But I think a lot of of people don't educate, can't, well, I wouldn't say can't educate Mm. their clients. Of course they do, they they try. But knowing how to educate your clients Mm. and then also, as I said, understanding your market well enough so you can identify the problems that they they have. Mm. Okay, yeah. So I feel like how can we, you've mentioned market knowledge a a lot, like Mm. that's, how can we speed up that process? Like how, because do you feel like that's one of your big competitive advantages? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, so, the more you're in something, the more knowledge and information you're going to get. Yeah. But it can be very easy for someone to say, well, yeah, you've been doing it for that long. It's yeah. easy for you to say. Exactly. So like, how do you right. handle that? Because I'm sure you had to deal with that when you obviously managing people. Yeah, of course it, I did. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. So how can, how can people speed that up or not just let that be the reason why they can't have more of these discovery calls, why they can't mm-hmm. educate their clients more? I would say, for example, in my market, mm-hmm. a lot of information is publicly available. This might be the same in other industries, IT, etc. So it's just what we're doing here is just using that information, mm-hmm. that publicly v- available information about the clinical trial, for example, mm. and then just relating that to, to the client and mm. discussing that with the client. So even when I had a junior consultant in my, in my team, I said to him, take a step back, look at the study info and just talk about the study with the client because that is what the client's doing and they also like talking about themselves as well and, and what they're doing. And then based on that information, just try and understand how that relates to hiring processes and what you can do to help, basically. Mm. So it's using kind of publicly available info and then just discussing that with clients, just putting two, you know, two and two together, essentially. And what I also take from there is you're not saying that you have to be as competent as a person you're speaking mm. to, but what, no, you, what really you were saying there is ask questions around the study rather than ask questions around what person they need. Yeah, exactly. Ask questions around what's important to them. Because mm. the reason they've reached out to you initially is because you're, you're there to solve a problem. Mm. The problem is I can't find people to um, execute this clinical trial. That's mm. that's the end goal. Yeah. Find the people is, that's the kind of middle point. The end point is executing the, the study mm. because it'll get the company to the next milestone or mm-hmm. save the company 
you know, X amount of, of pounds. So talk about the end goal and then work backwards. Yeah, yeah. So I know we like really went deep there into like solution yeah. stuff, didn't we? <laughs> 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 but I really, I think it's interesting, right? I think there's a lot to be said, just contract recruitment, panel recruitment or whatever. Having that mindset of that discovery, I, I think could really... Mm transform people's performances a, a lot more personally I feel like so obviously my business is very different but I do think when I was in recruitment like it's just so easy to lead just straight into I've got this candidate like, are you interested I know sometimes that's just what's required right if you've seen that a company is hiring and that it you know the language is like we need this person it's urgent and you can see it's open for two three weeks and maybe mm -hmm. it's still not filled of course that can be like what you lead into leave it into like this is why I need to have a conversation but I think there's still a lot to be said with like rather than just going straight into like tell me about this person like what do they need to have yeah it's like how did we get here what have you tried so far what we've we been yeah. struggling with do you know what I mean so having that discovery mindset and even if it's 30 minutes before we then get into like the job briefing call or wherever it may yeah. be like you're saying, personally, again, like that seems like that's been a huge thing as to like why you've ended up here. Like you've just mm. got better and better and understanding your yeah. market, asking right. commercial questions, understanding what's important to them, where these companies need to get to with their yeah. clinical trials and stuff. Then you can then go, well, from what I've learned today, this is why I'm going to recommend like yeah. what we need to do. So I feel like just talking about that and whatever that looks like in your world, just having more of that discovery mindset can really transform your BD results. Mm. Because like you said, in your world, it can be the difference from finding out or making that client understand that they don't need one contractor, they need three. Yeah, absolutely. And also clients have, it's never been easier for clients to hire people because mm. you've got LinkedIn and you can write a job description with ChatGBT yeah. in about 10 seconds. So it's even more important now to fully understand what they're looking for and then try and educate you know, your clients where, where possible, of course. Mm. of course. So we were just talking about it before I went into that then on like how you were like coaching your team and stuff. If you don't mind, I just want to ask you something that I found, like I've done a lot of these prep calls now with contract recruiters. I thought I had it written down, but you might you might have to help me out here. So do you remember I, I told you like, oh, that's really interesting. You were saying that with your team, you measure if they haven't done enough in a new business. Like what yeah. was the terminology that you called? NFI lost position. Yeah, NFI. Can Sounds we talk about really boring, doesn't it? <laughs> can we talk about that? Because I thought talk that was... Talk to me about your NFI lost position <laughs> <laughs> on a Monday morning Sorry. after a heavy weekend. Sorry, no, absolutely Sorry. not. So like, would you... Because I thought that was really interesting because... Yeah, yeah, of course. You tell me, but obviously from what I understood, you're helping your team understand like where they might end up and like what they mm. need to put more energy into, what they need to focus on. Yeah. So what is NFI lost position? Position. The way we calculate or the way we look at kind of our contractors is on a monthly basis. So we see how much our contractors are billing the company on a monthly basis. Mm. Other companies out there will calculate that as weekly GP. Yeah. We do a monthly NFI, it's, it's called, so a monthly yeah. net fee income. Yeah. So for example, what I do with the team, what I've done myself as well when I was a sole contributor is I had to look at how much I'm losing you know, each quarter. So let's say, for example, it's I'm losing £10,000 worth of NFI that quarter in, say, Q1, for example. So I look at that number, 10000 So if I don't do anything, if I don't do any deals, I'm going to lose 10000 Because mm, the contracts come to the end. Because the contracts are coming to an end, yeah, exactly. Mm. I think what we do as a business quite well, and what I've done fairly well, is just then understand the new business value that you're bringing in. So mm. as a business, we still calculate a deal size in contract as new business value. So it's capped at six months. 
Why did you do that? Well, typically contracts can be six months. Mm. So then we calculate that as, as a business. Some companies out there do 12 months, but it can sometimes skew the numbers. So if you do a deal, you know, if you do, I don't know, a project manager deal and you calculate that over 12 months, that's 40 grand. Mm. So you would have hit your target or close to your target. So then a person can put their fee up, but they're losing three contractors, right? you know, because they're coming to an end. So they get to a point at the end of the quarter where they're losing money. Got you. So it's like brother and sister. You have your new business value and your NFI value. So mm -hmm. to go to your kind of original sort of question, I look at the number, which is say 10,000. So then I calculate, okay, what's my average NFI per deal? So typically the average new business value is 15K in my market, between 15 and 20K. So if I relate that to what it is on a monthly basis, what the, that contractor will bring in is around 2,500. So I know going into that quarter, I need to do four deals because if my maths is right, 2,500 times yeah. four is 10,000. 10, <laughs> That's the message now. It's mm. okay, in those first two months, I need to do four deals. Because mm. if I do four deals, it will get me to 10,000. And that means I'm not losing, I'm, I'm maintaining my contract book. Mm. You also have to give a bit of leeway for them to start and also bill money for the company. So as a manager, it was quite useful for me to sort of um, work in that way because I'd have a look at what the person on my team is, is losing. Mm. If it's say 10,000, then I say to that person, you need four mm. deals in first two months. Then we work backwards. How do we get there? You yeah. might need to do a lot of work in the start of the quarter, and then maybe you can relax a bit towards the end, mm. or vice versa. If a person's only losing £2,000 of NFI in that quarter, then that message as a manager is you work your ass off because mm. you can really increase your contract book. You can, yeah. you know, you can, you can almost double your the, the contract size depending on how many runners you have. That's the kind of message. So to summarize all of that, it's really understanding kind of the yeah. relationship between the business you're bringing in and also what your contract book is and how much you're, you're kind of mm. losing. And if I lost position. And if I lost position, <laughs> baby. <laughs> no, you did, you, did, you did a good job of explaining that. Good. Okay, I understood good. that. So the reason why I wanted you to explain that is one, there might be managers that don't do it that way because, you again, I'm just going to act naive here. I'm assuming it can be easy as a contract recruiter to look at, like, what's coming in each month and yeah. being like, I'm sweet. Exactly. And, right? and to cut you off there, that's what some businesses do have. So they'll incentivize their consultants on mm. how much they're bringing in, but they don't really understand the second part, which is or how much their contract book is worth. Mm. But they kind of sometimes lose sight on how many deals we have to do to maintain, maintain the it. book. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then like I've had people on here where I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but helps mitigate this. It's not going to be able to completely prevent it from happening. But one no, of the of course, worst things that can not, happen yeah. as a contract recruiter is your book getting absolutely wiped. Yeah, that so is So it's painful. like, it's giving you, obviously by you doing that as a manager and working that out, you're giving people th that insight where potentially if you didn't have that insight, you could get complacent. Yeah. You could not have visibility on like, hang on a minute, I'm actually two months away from like losing half of my book. So yeah. I, I do really need to emphasize the new business and, and what I need to be doing. Exactly. So yeah. I'm assuming it's also to prevent, yeah, those like massive drops happening and also help you future-proof yeah. your contract book. Yeah, and it's to future-proof your contract book because mm. You have to treat, I mean, as a contract recruiter, you're, it's a cliche in recruitment, you're running your own business, but you, you have to do so even more in, in contract recruitment because naturally contracts do finish at some point. Mm. So yeah, it does 
the kind of peaks and troughs is what we tend to see in recruitment quite often. And that's kind of one thing that I've, one tool that I've, uh, yeah. that's helped me basically to, to kind of maintain my contract book over, over four years. Have you found that just to be way more of an effective way to like encourage your team to do the activities and, and help them understand why Absolutely. they need to do it? Because this is it. And they, they then understand why you need to send five CVs, mm. why you need to book in five yeah. BD calls a week because they, they understand the end goal. Whereas if I didn't explain that to them and I'd just say to that person, okay, you need to increase your, your CV sent out or mm. your BD calls or whatever, mm. and they don't really understand the, the kind of reasons behind that, then that's a bit more of a difficult message to, to kind mm. of give as well. NFI lost position. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> okay, so curious then, because we're talking about, we're just talking about this now. So like, I think, because I'm always interested to hear how people think about this. Personally, I feel like the best recruiters always know their numbers, personally. Mm -hmm. Like, regardless of if, how emotional we get when you hear the word You're going to challenge me now on my numbers. <laughs> no, no, no. So, like, I think what I'm interested to hear your take on, I know every market is different, every people's contract book will be different or whatever, but mm. I'm sure there'll be some principles that you just feel like it's just tried and tested. If you do this, it should mean this. So, yeah. my question to you is, if I do this, what you've just said, I've figured out actually, oh my God, like I've really built up my contract book to a great position, but actually I am three months away from it being 30% less. Yeah. So my question to you is if I want to make sure that I'm in the same position or better, mm -hmm. so particularly on the new business side, which is like your world, what are like the metrics or the core activities that you feel like if you do this, if you get near this, it should take care of your lost position. So I'm interested yeah. on how you think about the science behind as a contract recruiter, what those core activities are that if you do your CVC Send out. Mm. If you do this, if you do that, the net result will be you'll cover your lost position or you'll yeah. be more. Do you get what I mean? We'll get back to the episode in just one minute, but today I'm excited to talk to you about one of our partners, Firefish, the recruitment CRM that accelerates data-driven growth. Being able to benchmark your agency's performance against others in your industry has always been impossible until now. Our partners at Firefish have just recently released their industry benchmarking dashboards, taking data insights to the next level by enabling you to benchmark your own performance, your recruiters and team's performance against others within your sector. The benchmarking dashboards are built on anonymized placement, sales and KPI data, so Firefish users can get a monthly snapshot of their agency's performance benchmarks against their peers in seconds, something I'm sure a lot of you would be interested in. If you want to learn more about benchmarking dashboards or find out how Firefish can support your company's growth this year, they very kindly offered our community, the Recruitment Mentors Podcast, a special offer that's going to save you thousands of pounds. Now, this offer is only available until March the 31st, so you can click the link in the show description or you can head to firefishsoftware.com forward slash RMP. Yeah, absolutely. And I think of all the kind of KPIs we look at, what I've seen works and the kind of KPI that's most important to me in my world is your first stage interviews mm. per week, because that gives you a, a pipeline of, of candidates coming through each week. So even when I was doing, you know, doing permanent recruitment, I knew that if I was getting three interviews per week, I was hitting my target quite mm. comfortably. So contract recruiter, you're probably not going to average three a week because you might have three or four jobs one week 
and nothing next couple of weeks. So mm. an average, I would say, is, is your first stage interviews. We like to kind of stay between two and four per week. That gives you kind of a higher plan of candidates coming through each week as well. So I think that's the key. Just first stage interviews. First stage interviews would be like the key KPI that I would, I would measure my, my team against. Yeah. yeah, nice. Love that. And then, okay, that's, that's really helpful because I know like yeah I know people get emotional about that word but I think like you just said it's just like you people need to yeah. like like you said how much easier do you feel about where you're going to end up if you know like those one or two interviews that you get that you have the best chance of hitting your target like why would you not want to know what yeah. those important numbers are exactly you and then you're I mean? able to then get that deposit on the house yeah and do what you need to do do what you need to do because there's nothing worse than working getting your book to a certain level mm. and then they're dropping down by 50% and it's nothing nothing yeah. worse than having to then recover from that one word that I've heard the like way more when I interview people like yourself compared to permanent recruiters is, is leads. Mm-hmm. So I really want to hear your like philosophy on leads because I yeah. feel like I'm sure most contract recruiters will know what a lead is, but I feel like the best recruiters must be doing something different with the same information or just must be doing something better around it. I don't know how yeah. you feel about this. So because I'm sure this is something that you've had to manage when you manage people is like they would have heard the exact same thing you did but they did the polar opposite to what you would have done with the same bit of information Mm. and that that was a lead right yeah so like I guess firstly from your perspective like if you wouldn't mind like how would you define the lead personally it's a new business opportunity basically that gets you closer to your target so that's kind of that would be my definition of, of a lead. I think. And who gives you the most leads? Like, where do you often find yourself getting the most leads that is that? Yeah, it's a tricky question to answer, really. <laughs> I guess what I've seen with, with lead generation is not there's no single source of, of lead gen. So there's two ways I would kind of go after, two kind of leads that I would go after. First is the leads from candidates, which mm. is your active interviews that those candidates are performing. What I've done over the last couple of years and what I've always encouraged my team to do is to really qualify these leads. So rather than just saying, where have you interviewed? Oh, I don't know, X company. Mm. And that's it. Go into way more detail because then your conversion rate will increase quite quite significantly. Mm. If you then ask that person, who's the manager? When did you interview? You know, basic, basic questions mm. that, that you would expect to do. Because if obviously that in, if that interview took place two weeks ago in the, in the contract world, that job might have already been gone. Mm. But if that interview took place yesterday, then you know you'd probably drop everything if you don't have any jobs and really go after that lead. So that's one on the leads from candidates. This mm. is where I've seen where you can pick up jobs fairly quickly because they're active jobs. The second lead is, like I said before, is the market information. Mm. Okay, these trials are happening in a month's time. That is bit more of a long-term lead, mm. but it then leads to, pardon the pun, <laughs> to maybe offering a better solution or mm. you know, a multi-hire project, for example, whereas maybe the leads from that you get from online as well, from job ad- adverts mm. and candidates, they're probably your, maybe your ones and twos that you expect to fill fairly quickly because they're active jobs that, mm. that are ongoing. But to your point, I would say really qualifying the lead is, is really crucial. Because That's I, where people go wrong. That's where I've gone wrong in, in the past. Mm. When I first started, I thought, oh, this person's interviewing at X company. Let me go after that company. I can go on LinkedIn and find the manager, but that's all I know. Mm-hmm. So my conversion rate wasn't as strong. Where I found the conversion rate go up from lead generation to, to job pulled was when I started qualifying the leads really you know, with a kind of fine tooth comb, essentially. What would be your non-negotiable then to make it qualified? If someone gave you all the info, what would be yeah. like... 
to, yeah, and that's keep... based on people giving you the. That's what I mean. That, that's gonna be my next question because I know that <laughs> like it's not as easy. It's like because people know the game, right? And it's yeah. like so. I'm gonna ask you that, but just if we were to just put that aside for a second, like what would make you go off a court and go, "This is a really qualified lead." What would be like the non-negotiable things that you'd really want to aim to walk away with? So when they interviewed. So when they interviewed. So that's see. Mm. It's all about speed in contract recruitment. Mm. So when they interviewed is is crucial who the manager is, mm. what the job title is, and also sometimes what the rate is as well. If I know the rate is very low, mm. then I know that job might not be getting filled in, in the time that that company wants it to get filled by. So it gives mm. me more chance to then go in and have that conversation with, with the client. Yeah. So when, like, how long ago did they interview? Yeah, I think that's probably number one, I would say, give, just given the nature of, of contract recruitment. Yeah. Being, and then you were saying who interviewed them, did you say? Yeah, the manager. And then, and then the rate would be helpful just because that gives you a bit of an insight on like, because you'll know your market on like if yeah. they're over, underpaying or... Yeah, exactly. Or if it's okay. a decent rate, et cetera. How did, so how have we got better at people giving the info, mate? Because <laughs> <laughs> like you, they, like these contracts, yeah, yeah. they know the game, surely. Of course, of Do, course you know they what I mean? know the so game, it's like, absolutely. I'm always interested to hear people's take on like, yeah, how... Because I, 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 I don't know, I don't know, <laughs> like, I don't, would you say, is it something that you're, is it something that people are naturally better at doing? Like... Mm. I don't know, because there's quite a lot that goes into it, I can imagine, in terms of like mm, there is. how you deliver the question, the tonality, yeah. how, I don't know, like what your reputation is, if you spoke to that person before. Yeah. But like, what have you found to be like, yeah, how have you become more effective at having people willingly share this information with you? Yeah, absolutely. I would say giving them some information as well mm. and getting to a point where it's almost like a two-way conversation. Mm. That's where I found it works yeah, so what could you well. give someone? So, for example, if if I ask a person you've you know, where they've interviewed, oh, X company, oh, I actually know that company. Mm. You know, they're going. Through, I know they're going through phase one or phase three study. Or I appreciate they've also let a lot of people go. Mm. You know, and I'm so having a conversation around that company and then saying, oh, just just out of interest, who do you speak to on Friday? Rather than saying who you've interviewed with, yeah. who do you speak to on on Friday? Yeah, it's totally different. Than that. Or maybe wait to the end before they, they hang up the phone and say, oh, just one more thing. Oh, the one last, one quick question. <laughs> one, one last question. One, one last question. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you interview? Oh, who did you interview? <laughs> Love that, yeah, that's banger. So, that uh, is, is so what I, I don't know if you found this, but I was speaking to a friend about this today. Like, it's funny how many times you can get the, oh, one, one quick yeah, question, one last question. <laughs> exactly. You could actually get quite a few questions in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what do we get no leads after this podcast comes out? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think... What the insights that I took from that is if you go straight in for that, like how much success you're going to have, like, oh, yeah, I met this company. Oh, who, like who interviewed you straight away? Yeah. But like you just said, like just being treating it like a natural conversation, be curious, like, oh, that's interesting. I spoke to someone else who said they really enjoyed yeah, working exactly. on that project or, you know, the opposite. Then lead in with like, oh, like be curious and not just be like direct, I guess. This is it. Not being direct is quite important. Like mm. one of the guys I used to manage, he was quite direct, quite a direct person. Mm. I said to him, just have a conversation with him like you would a friend, obviously, mm. to a certain certain point and just have more of a two way conversation. And he mm. found that that worked quite well. Would you rather, if you could only get one last question in those conversations, would you rather walk away with how long ago they interviewed or who the manager was? Probably who the company is, so I know it's a target. Oh, yeah, fair. Okay. <laughs> um, All right, no, fair, fair, fair. Probably that, and then I can kind of find, yeah, that and maybe the time of, of day. Yeah, that would yeah, yeah. be, be really good info. Yeah. So what have you found, because I'm sure you've seen people do what you've just said, 
and then they don't do the next bit. Which is the follow-up. Yeah. Is that what people miss? Like, is it like they get that info and then they're like, they don't then take the next step. Is it the follow-up that then people mi- like just don't, because that's the next bit, right? You've mm. got the information. Yeah. You've done a really good job there. But then it's like the best people then action that consistently. This is it. And th- Why don't they do that bit? And it's actioning it that that's mm. that's what gets you obviously the new business. Why do you think people struggle with that? So good. I can't speak for everyone really. I'm not too sure in terms of why why the core struggle is. What, I would have, you, say, what have you found when you yeah, manage people? For me, it's yeah. The, the next follow up is is obviously very mm. is very crucial. You know, you get in the league, get all the good information. But I think maybe people try and, and I've had people in my team where they've tried three or four times and got nowhere mm. or have the perception that because the client is not coming back to them they're either angry that they've reached out so many times but if you put yourself in the client shoe and this is what I said to to the people in my, my group and to people I've worked with mm. before if you put yourself into the client's shoe give you an example I worked with a client once met her in London and um, we got onto the topic of like emails and how busy she is. And she actually showed me her emails. She was like, I've just received 200 emails you know, today because I've had the clinical trial side that's activating. Mm. I've got recruiters you know, emailing me, et cetera, et cetera. So if you put yourself in the client's shoe, that client's receiving a ton of emails. Mm. So for your email to get sent and then get read and a response to then happen in the first go is very limited. So what I'd say to, to people is just be relentless and just keep going until until that client does does eventually come back to you because they will. I've only had the case maybe once or twice where the client's actually been quite angry that I've maybe emailed them ten or twelve times over a, a period of time, etc. Mm. Let me ask you this then, and interested. I know it'd be like different each time, but because we're just talking about it, what is like the rough like right window? So like if I get like a, a really good lead. I know you say be relentless, like you have to just be consistent, but what would be like the ideal window where if I can get them in this, how long should I chase it before I'm like, you know what, I need to make that now more of like a long, I need to make sure I'm still, Mm -hmm. I now know they hire contractors, you know, they've used this person that I know is good. So there might be another opportunity there. I've missed out on this one, but there might be an opportunity in the next six, 12 months, right? They're going to that camp, but like, how long should I be relentless for before you might have just missed the opportunity or you haven't, do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. I I don't know if there's a win, win window there because a contract like you said you have to act quick so like yeah. if I speak to a contractor I get a lead I do a good job with that I know they've interviewed there last week mm-hmm. should I then be on that for like five days straight and if I get no bites at all I'm like right I need to then move them into more of like a maybe every other week every week I'm mm-hmm. at least trying to grab their attention or at least trying to speak to them because I wasn't successful yeah, yeah, in that initial course. window I would say in contract recruitment you have to try probably every day really for how long though <laughs> until they respond <laughs> <laughs> until they respond. <laughs> but, um, uh, but also you have to do it in the right way. Yeah, You can't just, you know, badger them because mm. that's obviously gets annoying and it just ruins your relationship, you know, with the client in, in the market and mm. the reputation as well. So whenever I'm chasing a, a client, I'm adding a piece of information about what I know about the company, mm. why I think that person's good for, for the organization or any pieces of information. I've also got to the point sometimes, especially last year, where it was a bit more difficult to, to get clients on board, mm. is giving them information about the market, for mm. example, some marketing material. If you give someone a bit of info, mm. naturally, they will be, subconsciously, they'll say, okay, let me at least answer this person or give something back. Mm. That's a very human sort of natural thing to do. If you give something mm. to someone, subconsciously they will return the favor have you got a story where like you was very close to like giving up but then they became a client 
Yeah, it's happened a few, it's happened <laughs> really? a few times. To be fair, I, I actually worked with, um, not me, but someone I used to work with. He emailed the client 12 times over three months. And that client finally then responded being like, yeah, I'm, I'm free to speak. And that client then went on to be quite an important client for them in that year. He sold a retainer, mm. et cetera. So there's been stages where I've been like, they're not going to pick up. They're not going to pick up. I usually leave all that to the end of the day. So at the end of the day, what I'll do is if I'm chasing a client, I'll just try one more time mm. outside of working hours. More times than not, it does sometimes it does work, mm. I would say. But you just have to keep you have to be relentless. That's what I'm Probably You're good big at. on yeah. I'll write that down. Be be relentless. That's just non-stop. Yeah, that's a non-negotiable. Yeah. <sighs> Has to be, doesn't it? I guess, but even more, even like more so in in your in your world, like in terms of like how quickly things can change. That is the thing. That I did permanent recruitment, so that is the, obviously I know you've done both, but mm. I do find that like just just mad in terms of like if on Friday there's this company that you've been chasing for five days straight, they finally come back on Friday and you know that could be a company that could be big for you. Mm -hmm. And they've got, they say, Troy, you know what, like, I really respect how persistent you've been. I've heard good things about you in the market. Yeah. Look, we've really struggled to get these free contractors or we need these three people can you help us out They're like you know you, if you've better. got if you've got yeah but if you've it's got plans feeling. on like but you then have to do it don't you like you like yeah, friday four o'clock that call comes in well it depends what you value do you value going down the pub <laughs> or do you value, but i think you know, that's what i just find <laughs> well because it's like you if you don't do that someone else will a real quick one from me and we'll get straight back into the conversation some of you may or may not be aware that I'm also the founder of a business called Hector. Hector is an all-in-one training platform for recruitment founders to maximize team performance. The reason why I'm sharing this with you is because if you are someone that is enjoying this podcast week after week, you might even share this podcast with your colleagues, then I'd love to connect with you. Our training platform is powered by top performers delivering practical training for today's market. We believe training a lot of the time in the recruitment industry is dated, is stale, is delivered by people that did it 5, 10, 15 years ago. And we are completely going against that. So a lot of the people that you're able to learn on this podcast, you're able to learn even more from at Hector. So if you'd love to you know, find out more about how we could potentially help you get more out of your people, ramp up their performance more quickly, then please connect with me on LinkedIn or click the link in the show notes where you'll be able to book a call with us. Let's get straight back into the episode. Yeah, exactly. Someone That's else the thing that, that I think's mad. And even like... more so than ever. I mean, mm. last year, you know, it was a fairly, fairly tough year for a lot of mm. businesses. A lot more recruiters now want to do business development or need to do mm. business development to, or in order to survive. So if it's not going to be you, it will be someone else. It'll be someone else, yeah. And like, yeah, like you said, and then it's just just nonstop. So let's just step into a bit into like now. Then I really enjoyed all that, like the leads. Uh, <laughs> net fee lost position. <laughs> net fee lost position. <laughs> yeah, that was um, that that was good. Yeah, definitely. I guess just to round this conversation out, as you continue to progress on on your like this development journey, this solutions journey you're going on. I think I wrote down here, maybe it would be interesting for you to talk about it a bit in terms of like how you view different like solutions. This might be interesting. Mm -hmm. So I've got them written down here that this might be, some of this might be wrong, but I think you shared a few things with me. So when we think about different solutions that you can offer as a contract recruiter, right? Yeah. So I wrote down here, try before you hire. I don't know if you'd like to use that terminology. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, 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 okay, yeah. yeah. So try before you hire, 
contract to perm, and then you've got project-based hiring, which is now what you want to be like building a lot more of your pipeline around and winning. And then you've got contract standard in terms of like, I need a contractor and then you deliver that person. Yeah, right? that's right. And so we let, tend to find, sorry to cut you off, right. we tend to find that more at like C-suite level as well, the kind of interim CEOs for startups. Right, sure, fair. So let's just talk a bit about this because again, this is your world now, right? Solutions. Yeah. And the, this might be, someone listening to this right now might just, have one view mm. the only solution they can provide is the contract standard yeah, yeah so why don't we talk a bit about the try before we hire thing i thought that was real i don't this i don't know if this is like you probably speak to more contract recruiters than i do but yeah so is the the try before you hire piece is that literally like you turn perm opportunities into contract opportunities yeah it's temp to perm so yeah not reinventing the wheel or anything mm. like that but the way try before you hire came about I mean, Temp to Perm's been around for, for forever, really. Yeah. But during COVID, a lot of the clients that I was working with, they tend to have been smaller organizations. Mm. They were still still had to run studies. But I think, well, a lot of clients were quite reluctant to pay large recruitment fees up front for their permanent staff. So in 2020, I was doing the, the Swiss market. Typical Swiss fees are between 20 and 40,000 Swiss francs. Mm which is obviously a lot of money if mm-hmm. you're a startup or if you're a non-profit organization that's running running clinical trials. You then have to factor in 12% of social costs, then the person's annual salary. In Switzerland, the annual salary is between 100 and 150,000. So companies, what they saw is they had to invest a huge amount in the, the front end mm. to then get the person that's interviewed. That's not, the person not even walked through the door mm. yet. And they've spent a lot of money at the front end. So a lot of clients were quite reluctant to do that. And that's why you saw, you know, perm hiring, especially the first kind of half of, uh, of, of well, when COVID hit, mm. it fell off quite significantly mm. because a lot of clients put permanent hiring on hold. But some clients and quite a lot of organizations, they still had to run the clinical trials. Mm. Vaccine trials were massive. Other studies were, were huge as well because medicines still need to get to the people that, that need it most. Mm. So the try before you hire came about by well, the solution we, we provided to, to, to those clients is to say we can hire that person through our company, through, through ProClinical in, say, Switzerland. Mm. We will outsource the social costs and the contracts, so the HR piece and the, sal- the salary, which is an hourly rate. Mm-hmm. We will wrap that all up into one hourly budget or a monthly budget as well, which some clients did want. And then the result from that is actually got the talent in much quicker they didn't have to spend 20,000, yeah. 40,000. So it gives an opportunity francs. to see how, how good is this person going to be? Can I deliver? And then they're going to be way more confident about potentially hiring them on a permanent basis. This is it. So then for six to 12 months, they got the candidate in much mm. quicker, usually immediately or straight away. They didn't have to spend the front end. Mm. And more importantly, they had the opportunity to see how that person works in a real life setting. Mm. Because a CV, in my opinion, and an interview, can sometimes be quite a poor indicator of someone's ability, mm. especially in a small company, where in small companies you have to be really hands-on, you have to hit the ground running. It's really important, you know, soft skill, which you sometimes can't get from an interview. And then more times than not, after six to 12 months, that company said, right, we're going to invest in you now. We'll either most likely take you on perm, give mm. you a salary, et cetera, and then there's an you know, exit fee or whatever you want to negotiate with the client. Mm. So to summarize everything, that's how we took a perm hire educated the client and said, there's another solution we can provide you, which is a, in, the, in essence, temp to perm, yeah. and wrapped it up in a nice, mm. 
Nice, Do you see uh, a little tagline and nice marketing behind Do it. Do you see a lot of that happening still now then in terms of like your team converting? Yeah, huge. Uh, I'm say huge amount now, but certainly still like a solid. It's, it's still a solid base of our deals, mm. especially in really high fee countries like Switzerland, right. America, so the where, Nordics. So what you're saying where it's like a really, like you said, high upfront cost. So like yeah. the risk's higher basically. Exactly. And now companies, they need... Especially if it's, especially if a biotech is going through funding, mm. they're not a revenue generating company. Mm. So when that funding dries up, a lot of the time the company then goes under because mm. the, the funding's dried up. So mm. HR and TA are now looking for essentially ga- talent guarantees to say if we do obviously put some upfront cost into this process and they mm. don't work out, then we lose money. Mm. And that's obviously a huge issue. Mm. So just to tie that together, just out of interest, is that I'm assuming, like, again, like you said, you know, this does involve educating the client. Yeah. Because I'm assuming, what have you found? I don't know if you've seen this across your team. Has there been like typically where if they've seen and noticed that a client has been trying to get in like a permanent person or they've seen that they're advertising someone and it's gone on for maybe a a certain time period. They found, you know what, that's like a great opportunity for me to turn that into a potential try before you hire hire like tem to perm opportunity yeah. is that the key to it is just like if there are companies out there that you know are trying to find someone where it is hard to find people but there's way more of like a, a talent pool for contractors and they might have been looking for that person or looking for those types of people for a while like two three weeks or i don't know if there's longer yeah. period where then that tends to be a good opportunity to do that is there a Absolutely. certain window you found yeah there, there is a window there's the, the time frame where companies looking to hire for if they're, mm. they're looking for for several months, mm. then that solution does become more mm. relevant and we can sort of discuss that with the client. Mm. So there's that element. But also, what's the cost to the business for that person not being in in the role as mm. well? Yeah, There is that. But in some countries, like the US, Switzerland, for example, it's quite common for people to initially start off as a contractor. They don't have their limited company. We're essentially employing them, for example, like a PAYE kind of uh, model. And then clients that will then internalize them after 12, 18 months, et cetera. So in some markets, it's more common, but then you can take that into other markets, you know, into Belgium or mm. or the UK and then educate your mm. clients through that model. Mm. Tell the client, look, we've been doing this in Switzerland. It's saved the, mm. the business X amount. Mm-hmm. It's also resulted in that person being with the business for longer because you're essentially testing them out. Mm. And if you don't like them, it's an easy offboarding process. Yeah. So it, to kind of go back to the main point, it's really about educating your clients. Yeah, it comes back to that, doesn't it? Yeah. Let's think about, so over the next, like as you think about this year then, obviously I know you was excited to get into this position and it was something that you really wanted. When you think about your craft and what you know you're going to have to like continue to get world class at, what, what does that look like for you? How do you think about that? Like what is Troy going to have to consistently now really focus on becoming world class at? Because what your the responsibility that you now have, as we were talking before we started this, mm. You know, you're you're someone that's going to be seen internally as someone that is going to be responsible for generating pipeline for people for the business. That that's that's a big responsibility. Help them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like, what just to sort of tap into like how you're thinking about yourself and what do you know you're going to have to be laser focused on? What you're going to have to consistently think about? I need to keep getting better at this, world class at this. How do you think about that? Yeah, I think probably time management is is really crucial mm. for me. Because at the moment, in my role, I'm juggling my own clients, 
Then I'm juggling potential bids that we're doing mm -hmm. with other clients, which can take a long time. And then I'm working with consultants who are asking me questions mm. on a regular basis in the office as well. So I think for me, being a bit more of a visible role here mm. is time management is, is really crucial. So I would say if I if I nail that, then I'll be I'll be fine. On more of the recruitment side, yeah, it's probably delivering that message and discussing past success with other clients as well. Because mm. the I wouldn't say the issue, but when you are working in more of a solution space, the companies we're working with, larger companies, they go to quite reputable organizations and it's almost an insurance policy for them. Mm. So I've had it before, for example, where I've spoken to you know, a CEO at a quite well-known biotech mm. or a mid-sized biotech, and they've said, Troy, we've actually gone with a very well-established company. They're more of a consultancy because if they don't deliver the project, then I can go to my chairman and say, look, I've used the best in, in, in the mm. business. You can't sack me or, you you know, it's difficult yeah. for you to, it's difficult. It's it's better for, for them to have that conversation than to say, I've gone with ProClinical who are the new new kids on the block. Yeah. It's so interesting you say that because I was listening to a, a podcast recently where they like said that example where they, yeah, like you just said, like no one's going to get fired for deciding to go with Deloitte. This is it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, that's so is, interesting that you it, yeah. say that, that. Yeah, no one's going to get fired for doing that. Yeah, that's it. That's mad, isn't it? So you're saying like what you, you're very aware of is you're going to have to really lean into mm -hmm. your case studies. Telling the story and... Yeah, telling that that kind of story of the insurance policy example of what, yeah, what I've said. That is interesting. So there's some interesting times ahead then. Yeah, should be, should be good. <laughs> Love it. Well, look, Troy, thanks so much for coming on the pod. I know we went into some details, but I know a Great. lot of people are going to love that. So good. a big thanks Hope for coming so. on the pod. Brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope there were plenty of golden nuggets for you to take away. As you'll know, I'm your host here of the Recruitment Mentors podcast, but I'm also the founder of Recruitment Mentors. We're a online subscription-based learning and education platform. We're on a mission to help thousands of recruiters achieve their professional goals and successfully progress their careers through modern and engaging online learning. If you're a recruitment business owner listening to this, there's a good chance that you value self-development, personal development. You're trying to develop a culture of continuous improvement. But we've partnered with a number of grown recruitment companies who were struggling to understand how they can invest more in their people, how they can upskill them more quickly without spending more time, without having to spend thousands of pounds of external trainers. And we've ended up being a really great fit, modern fit for recruitment teams. We can ultimately help you get more out of your teams by giving your people access to modern and engaging online learning, which they can access on demand. The thing that's really cool about what we're doing at Recruitment Mentors is that all of the people that your teams are able to learn from and the people that are delivering the learning content are people that are in role right now. They're billing, they're actively facing the challenges that your teams are, and a lot of the time they're amongst the top performers within their companies, which means your teams are going to be way more confident to learn and spend time on their learning when they know they're learning from people that are doing it right now, have been there and done it. There's nothing worse than feeling like training is not relevant and not current. The best place to find out more about Recruitment Mentors and if we can help you accelerate your team's performance is uh, send me a message on LinkedIn, connect with me on LinkedIn directly and I'd love to connect with you and, and find out if we can help you get more out of your people.